Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Henry. Hey, hey, hey Henry, this is, uh, this is Alex Jones. Uh, can, can you hear me okay? Yeah, Alex, I can, I can hear you fine. Um, thanks, for, thanks for calling. Um, I'm not really too sure what you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Uh, but first, uh, your, your toasters are unplugged, right? Yes, Alex. I got the encoded message from your carrier pigeon. I unplugged all of my toasters, so don't worry. Uh, all right, good. You, you never know who's listening. So the reason why I, why I reached out to you, Henry, is because you're the only person I can trust. Um, I'm about to break a big story, and, and, and the globalists are going to be doing everything they can to stop me from breaking it. I got the documents to prove that that Lena Dunham right now is out in America trying to gather four-ton crystals. And what these four-ton crystals are is a form every single time someone doesn't rate and review your podcast or give it a five-star rating. These four-ton crystals, they contain fragments of the soul of Joseph Stalin. Alex, four-ton crystals? Yeah, four-ton crystals. Uh, I have all the documents right here. And, and once she gets enough of them, she's going to open an interdimensional portal and summon the remains of Joseph Stalin to create a new Soviet Union in America. Alex, um, have you been drinking? No, Henry, I haven't been drinking. Soros is behind this, too. You need to get people to rate and review your podcast and give it a five-star rating and review, especially if you're on iTunes. Thanks, Alex. I, I appreciate it. I'm a bit confused, but... Um... Thanks for the call. It's happening. The globalists are about to make their move. They're going to make a... Welcome to BrewHistory.com. What's going on? It's uh, Henry and Danny with Bro History. And uh, this is yo, probably yo, yo. The, first, the first actual intro... Where we introduce our introduced ourselves in a pretty long time, we've been we've been testing out a new technique where, well, actually, it's not really a technique; it's just an easier way to record things. Where we just actually record for about twenty minutes straight, and then we kind of pick the part in the recording where it actually starts making sense and where we start getting closer to the topic. Because, uh, believe it or not, it's kind of hard to do the whole intro thing and going into a topic and, and uh, staying at a concise story. And, you know, the way that we like to, we like to do things here, we like to be a little silly and we like to go from topic to topic and never really stay on one thing. Um, pretty kind of, it's kind of strange for a history podcast. So if you're expecting a straight up history podcast about, you know, fucking the ancient Samaritans, well, you were mistaken. You were in the wrong place. We I believe you meant to about- say Sumerians. <laughs> okay. So in addition to not uh, being good at staying on topic, we're also really shitty at pronouncing names and things like that. And we've been called out a whole lot uh, for <laughs> uh, just absolutely butchering words and, and phrases. But, you know, we just want to thank everybody out there for you know your continued support and, and, and rating and reviewing and, and following us on Facebook. I think, you know, it definitely really helps us out a lot. And, you know, like Henry said, we're, we're trying out a bunch of new things. You know, let us know what you like uh, and what you don't like so we can continue making the podcast better for y'all. Yes. So um, I guess we should just get started. We should start talking about the elephant in the room. And uh, of course, we're, we're actually recording this on election day. So by the yeah. time this is released, you know, that the, the, the midterms will be 
all but over, I guess, except for that, um, that I guess that jungle primary in Missouri where they're going to have a, a runoff election in November 20th. But That's um, right. I don't want to go too into that because we're not really a political podcast. We're more of a history podcast. Um, but I just want to give my two cents in. No matter what happened, well, first of all, my prediction, I think, is going to happen. Like, I predicted that the Republicans were going to keep the Senate. The Democrats were going to keep the House. Both, it was going to be very close throughout the entire midterms. And both parties are going to declare victory. That was my that was my prediction. That it was going to be close. Both parties are going to end up clearing victory. I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I, that's That's exactly my prediction, too. Uh, it's a little far-fetched to think that uh, there's going to be a giant blue wave. Uh, we've already seen a bunch of stuff coming in already to suggest that it's been, you know, kind of just like a, a, a small wave, you know. Uh, but uh, definitely going to pick up the House, I think, um, by, by a couple of seats. And um, Senate's probably staying with uh, the Republicans firmly. So At this time that, we're, that we are recording, the Republicans have already made one gain. Um, and the That's Senate, right. so they're up three. Uh, right. Democrats, I don't have the I don't have the numbers. Democrats in front of me have right pulled now. up. Yeah, Demo- I, I actually do. I'm watching CNN right now. <laughs> uh, they conveniently have a scroll on 24 seven, even during their commercials. Uh, so I think it's eight. Um, they just they literally just switch the graphic. It's eight uh, pickups on the House side uh, for for Democrats. So it's it's pretty much going along with uh, with what we predicted. So. Anyway, we're, we're going to be here for a long time. Um, you know, polls close in California at like 11 p.m. Eastern time. So and, and they're notorious about like taking their time to, to count their votes. And then we also have Alaska and Hawaii, which I, I'm pretty sure everyone knows exactly how those are going to go. But um, it, it won't be until super late tonight, uh, if not, um, you know, early, early tomorrow morning that, w- that we'll find out the actual results. So and I've been I was looking at different candidates. I haven't really looked at far into the different Republican candidates or, or the different democratic candidates for that, for, for, for that matter. But while looking at some of the Republican, I was interested uh, in some of the candidates. So I was just looking at their pot, like their, their policy page and you know, what, what, you know, what their stances are on certain issues. And I swear to God, every single one of them had the exact same page. It was like, it was copy and pasted. Like and a lot the of times they are. Pages, that's, that's, that's the they, they, they are. They, they are. So it's like the exact same the exact same policy on you know tax regulation. The, the exact same policy on, on immigration. Education, exact, on education, exact same on policy on immigration yeah. on healthcare. Yeah. The exact same policy on Israel. The exact same policy on Iran. You know why? The exact it's same that's policy safe. on Syria. The exact that's, same, and that's more of the stuff I follow. But it's like, you know, every single Republican they tote the they tote the generic line of, all right, we support Israel. Um, we, you know, for for the most part, we we support regime change. Um, I mean, not as much as they as they did, you know, five years ago. But it's uh, it's just it's boring to me. It's just like I. I don't really want to vote for. I I don't want to. I don't want to go to a poll and vote for that. So, I'm. I just. uh, I kind of. I almost remove myself from the political process completely because I do have gripes with both parties. Um, You know, they're they're different gripes for different reasons, and you know, this is this is not really meant to be a political show where I where I isolate one side or another. Um, the reason why I'm telling you I hate everyone is because I want everyone. <laughs> I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to yeah. pick on Democrats, and I don't equal want to pick opportunity, on Republicans. Equal opportunity roasting here at Bro History, right? That's that's there's, our there's, We make fun of everyone, right? We make fun of everyone, and we have everyone on the show as well. So we will right. have um, there's there's a there's a big free speech policy on this. Except maybe if you're fucking really bad shit crazy. Yeah, if you're, if you're an asshole, you know. <laughs> if you're if you're an asshole and you start saying, if you like come on the show and starts fucking saying just absolutely disgusting stuff, then most likely I, I won't want to deal with you or just have a conversation with you. Um, but if you're like, no, not an asshole and you have a very controversial opinion, then yes, you're more than welcome to be on the show. Like if you... Even if the opinion is like, even if you're like someone like Richard Spencer or somebody, like I'm fine talking to someone like Richard Spencer. 
Um, I just don't want someone who's disrespectful and, and who comes on a show to intentionally or, like spew, yeah. spew, like to, to spew just bullshit. Yeah. And fucking like the spew things that are toxic right. um, intentionally. Not to say I think a lot of like, you know, what Richard Spencer believes in is, is pretty toxic. Um, but, you know, my values couldn't be more diametrically opposed to his. Right. Um, however, I would talk to somebody like that if they were civil. Um, right. So that's kind of like where where the the line is. It's uh, it's free range. It's the Wild West. Just um, don't say naughty words. I don't know. <laughs> no, you can good. say as many naughty words as you like. Yeah, you can say there was like the podcast that we did. With, I did with Judah the other day or like it was a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, the last 20 minutes of it is just talking about the most disgusting stories ever. And, um, (laughs) it went from like a very serious podcast talking about the Yom Kippur war into talking about the most disgusting fucking shit. (laughs) And, um, I felt sorry for somebody who was like really looking for a history podcast. It's like, Oh, I finally found a podcast on the Yom Kippur war. I could finally finish my my thesis. Stop like the final sources. <laughs> if you're trying to get your final sources on your thesis of the Yom Kippur War from a podcast called Bro History, I think maybe you don't deserve to be in grad school. <laughs> well, I'd like to blow your mind uh, today with a, a topic that uh, we came up with a little bit earlier um, on uh, a very very special weapon in the history of weapons uh and it's the ak-47 yeah and it's kind of funny because um we were talking about different topics for weapons and stuff like that um just to keep all the all the guys who like guns happy because you know there's a lot of people <laughs> who like guns who, who it's listen red to meat. the show it's red it's meat. red it's it's red meat guns and tanks and planes i mean i like that stuff too yeah uh, me too. but to be completely <laughs> honest to be completely honest um, something I thought of is that I think people nowadays know more about guns and and just war war equipment um, or military equipment rather from video games. Absolutely, yeah. I mean that's, that's where I got my start. I mean I, I'd like to consider myself the resident expert on on military tech based on my experience with Call of Duty and and, and Battlefield and uh, the different places like that. So. Yeah. And it's so weird. It's so it's it's so funny to me that the, like these these kids who are probably like 13 years old, they probably are an expert on on like the latest not the latest military technology, but you know the military technology that's that's come, came over that's that's been introduced on the field of combat over the past like 3 decades or so. I mean, some um, of these game developers are really good at not only just give like I personally like playing, you know, these war games just because they'll often have a really exciting campaign. And when they do follow an actual historical, you know, uh, um, uh, tone, it's fun because it's like, you know, I, I enjoy history. Obviously, I'm on bro history right now, um, but I also like first person shooters it's like fun to to run around and like you know snipe somebody in the face and then like teabag them you know like that's fun you know so it brings two you know guilty pleasures of mine together uh and these game developers are getting so good at things like you know um uh uh, obviously like like bullet physics right so one one of my more favorite um uh first person shooters is battlefield and there's like bullet drop right so it takes into account the curvature of the earth so when you're shooting somebody from really far away it's like it matters where you're shooting you have to aim a little high if they're super far away you know uh and the optics work really well and you know you get to learn a lot about the specifications of these weapons the uh the, the ammunition that they that they use um you know their their rate of fire uh the different attachments that you can put onto them and uh and, and i also want to talk about this one but even just the sound and general feeling of these weapons um now i've actually had an opportunity to fire the ak-47 among uh, a, a few other uh, uh rifles there um and i gotta say it's it's a it's an impressive weapon, um, and I think it's an impressive weapon not not just because it looks cool and it and it's and it's a strong assault rifle, but but because I think it's got such an interesting interesting history, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. What makes it so interesting to me, and I don't know shit about guns. I'll be completely honest to everyone who's listening. Um, 
I'm the one who's like super second amendment and I don't know that much about firearms to begin with. <laughs> um, however, that what makes, what makes this AK 47 interesting to me is that the gun was that it was manufactured. I mean, almost immediately after world war two, it's been in the Soviet arsenal. What for since, since 1949, I think. Yep. And so, that mm-hmm. those, those guns have been on the, on the, on the combat field basically forever. Like I like, I posted a video on the Facebook page of this guy who found this AK buried underground for 18 years and he pulls yep. it out with an oil, just with some oil, some motor oil. He's like rubbing oil, motor, motor oil. They're able to fire it again. Like yep. what? Like the gun, the gun is like indestructible. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and in all the research that I did leading up to this podcast, I, I just kept, you know, going, wow. Like how, how is this even, <laughs> how is this even possible? Um, so, I guess let's let's start from where from where it started. So you're absolutely right. Um, came out right around right after the Second World War. Uh, it was made by uh, a, a lieutenant. Um, I think he was a lieutenant general, or he might have been postmortemly um, named that. But his name was Mikhail uh, Kalashnikov, right? And I'm probably uh, uh, mispronouncing that, but you know, go figure. It's bro history. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so Kalashnikov there, he was a tank operator. He was driving the tanks. He was probably driving a T-34. I don't know that for sure, but let's pretend like he was because that tank is badass, right? Most likely was because, yeah. I mean, that the T-34 was was the tank that was, um, I think, they, they manufactured the most. I could be wrong, yeah. but I'm pretty, yeah, they, they, I'm 95 more, more for sure. Tanks. Yep. Yep. The, um, T, the T-34s were, were, there had to be at least like 25,000, 30,000 put on the field in World War II, probably more. Yeah, I think there was more. Um, so uh, with that being said, so this, this dude's driving a tank, right? And as far as I understand, like I, I wanted to get more juicy details about what happened. But uh, so I'm going to do a little bit of bro history here. I know that he was injured in combat. And I know that uh, I believe that his tank was set on fire. Uh, I don't know how. So the bro history version of this is he's in battle with these German panzer tanks, right? And they hit him and it lights, uh, you know, their fuel on fire and he has to be drug out of the the, <laughs> the tank. I, I don't actually know that that happened, but that's that's what I like to envision. Anyway, that's the folklore. Yeah, that's that's the that's the bro history for this one. Uh, so dude's a total badass. Um, he's also like a self-taught um, engineer, like a self-taught mechanical engineer. Uh, and that's how he was able to like uh, develop the AK-47. Now, AK-47 uh, stands for Automat Kalashnikov 47, and 47 would be the year. Um, and typically speaking, with those with those number de- denominations, it's when the assault rifle or when the the weapon had came out. Uh, now, it was started to be designed in 45. Uh, and he was working, um, you know, I believe it was in Germany. I don't actually have these, these things, uh, completely straightened up, but he's working with this guy, uh, a German dude, and he was pulling basically the best parts of all of the most famous weapons from world war II. Right. So he was, uh, uh, pulling things from the M one carbine, um, pull, and that's the American weapon, by the way, it's like a, a, a rifle, a single action, um, semi-automatic, uh, and, he also pulled a lot of things from the uh, STG 4044, uh, the Sturmgewehr uh, or assault rifle uh, 44 uh, from the Germans. Uh, and it's actually super close to the Sturmgewehr, the, the STG uh, 44. The, even the look of it, down, right down to like, you know, metal, metal, uh, 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 metal barrel, wooden stock, you know, it looks super similar. Uh, but he was just basically pulling like the best. Uh, pieces of all of that and put together a design for it. Uh, the, the Russian, uh, or in this case, the Soviet Union, uh, liked the design, uh, and they put it to uh, field testing in 46. Uh, so they sent a bunch of them out there. And it was almost not used because uh, it it was super inaccurate. Um, and not not like extremely inaccurate, but like just inaccurate enough where uh, they almost didn't want to to release it. So this gun fires a really big uh, 7.62 or 7.62 um, millimeter round. Uh, thing is enormous, and it's slightly tapered at the front. So like it, it goes from like fat at the back to kind of skinny at the front, which is why you get that like banana-looking magazine clip, you know, the, the curved clip. It's like super iconic, yeah. you know? And that's the reason why, because the, the, the bullets are tapered, so they had to 
um, put the magazine that way. What just what what's tapered mean? Tapered what do you mean by like, the bullet are tapered? So the the back of the the back of the bullet by where the where the the firing pin would strike to like ignite the bullet and you know shoot it out the front end. That part is fat, like large, right, thick, and then the front of the bullet, uh, the casing. Uh, is actually thinner than the back. So you, you can imagine like, uh, think about uh, the Eiffel Tower. You know how the Eiffel Tower has a really wide base and then it comes to like a point, right? So that's that's what tapering is when you, when you start off wide and you come in uh, closer. So it's tapered like that. So naturally you could you can't have a straight up and down magazine because, the, you know, the, the front of the bullets would like hang low. So they had to make this like little curve uh, so that when when they load into the, into the, uh, uh, I f- fuck, I'm forgetting my, my gun parts here. When it loads into the the, the barrel uh, right before it's fired, uh, you know, so that it's pointing straight. The bullet, that is. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm getting off topic here. So so they, they almost didn't like it, the Russians. Um, and it's because the thing was super effective at like 300 meters, like within 300 meters. But like after that, it was compl- the, the effectiveness just totally dropped off. Now, what they liked about it was, one... It was dirt cheap, like so, so cheap because they made it out of stamped parts. Now, I, I don't actually know how to explain what stamped parts are. My guess is that it's just cheaply made metal, right? Um, that also made it lighter. Uh, it was so cheap. It was light. It was durable. This thing could go through the most rigorous of, of conditions. I mean, water, mud, dirt, sand, like you name it. It's going in there, and it's and it just it just fucking works, right? Um, and uh, so the, a lot of the reasons why it would just work is because the tolerances between the parts were like looser. I'll try my best to explain this because I'm not like a gun expert, but what that means is like there's a bunch of moving parts inside a gun, obviously, right? Uh, a lot of like advanced weapons try to minimize the amount of space between those parts. Um, but because this gun, the AK-47, has so much space in between the parts, it just, like, lets water through it, lets the sand through it. You just pick it up, shake it off, you know, quick little lubrication, and it's ready to go. Some quick lube, and it's ready to go. You know, it's funny. I, I was watching this video. I forget where exactly I found it, but they were saying, um, you know, in in in, uh, in the Middle East, like in Afghanistan, places like that, you know, obviously this is the gun of choice there. Um, and... Uh, they they would they would ask them I was like oh so like how often do you clean them and they would you know the, the Afghanis would look at them like clean them why would you do that you know uh, like the the worst the, the most cleaning that they would do is like they they take their shoelaces off tie it in a little knot dip it in some motor oil pull it through the barrel and it's like okay cool clean <laughs> like that's that's what they would do and it's like if if you know anything about guns or shooting guns you know that that. You know, these things need to be cleaned very frequently. They, they need to be kept up in maintenance and like, otherwise it's going to jam. Gun's going to jam. You're not going to be, it's not going to be fun for you, you know? Um, but that just doesn't happen with the AK-47. Not very, not very frequently. And it's, it's a crazy, crazy reliable gun. Why are there so many AK-47s on the field? I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, the first reason is because they're dirt cheap. I, I mentioned that before. Um, I think the the current uh, global estimate on how expensive these are is like about five hundred US dollars. Um, but uh, that's how does that gl- compare to an M? How does that compare to an M four uh, or an AR fifteen? It's just just right about the same. Um, but that's a, on a global scale. Uh, we're not talking about you know when you when you zero in on these uh, third world countries on, on the Middle East on Africa places like that where these guns are being traded the most frequently. And it also doesn't take into account uh, the the black market for these guns. Uh, so there's actually quite a few of them that are that are being uh, sold illegally. It's actually the most illegally sold weapon of all time, period. By, like, by UN accounts, there's about 75 million of these things running around. That's a lot of weapons. That's a lot of firearms. That makes it the, I think it's, one in five small arms is an AK-47. And that's like every, that's including every single pistol, rifle, you know, uh, um, you know, handgun, you name it. One in five of them in the entire planet is an AK-47, which is crazy. 
Um, so I guess I guess, I guess just give some people some reference right here. Um, what is there about? I don't know the exact number, but there's millions of guns alone in America, and in, in, oh, yeah. in the states. Oh, there's yeah. what, there's mm-hmm. I something there's more guns than I I saw some stats than the actual population. Yeah, there's definitely more guns than people. Yeah. So that wouldn't mean that now if we take that global, I mean how many how many AK-47s are out in the in a field right now? So like that we know about like that that the UN would know about is seventy five million. Seventy five million. Right, but that's that we know about. Yeah. So, so the thing about the AK-47 is, while it's a Russian-made weapon, so many other countries are, are have plagiarized this gun, and it's such a simply made gun that almost anyone with like some really basic manufacturing skills can make this gun too. Um, so, a couple countries, for example, that are doing it: China makes variants, Finland makes them, uh, Bulgaria makes them. A bunch of different, a lot of Soviet bloc countries are making them as well, and and they just kind of like slightly change the name and slight design changes, but for, for the most part, it's literally the same gun. Even the U.S. makes them. Uh, there there are some uh, uh, pretty big uh, uh, like manufacturers of of the. Um, I think it's the SM4 or SAM4, uh, uh, which is basically a clone of the AK-47. It's right here in in the United States of America. Uh, we make them too. Um, Everybody makes them. They're super easy to do. And, and the fun fact about that was that, like, when this was created in the Soviet Union, like, like Kalashnikov, you would think that this guy would be loaded, right? But, but you know, there, he was in a communist country. There was no, there was no patents. There was no ha, royal, ha, ha. There was no royalties. Stalin, <laughs> Stalin, take your money. Ha 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 <laughs> ha ha ha. Yeah. So, um, so he didn't make any yeah, money yeah. out of this, you know. Yeah, that sucks. But I mean, <laughs> at least he, at least he, Browning, Gatling, the, uh, Colt, like all least, of these people who made those guns, they're rich. But yeah, I know. Kalashnikov, all, all, nah. <laughs> um, that that sucks. Um, you have to like really, you have to say it about those those Soviet era weapons, the weapons that came out in the Soviet Union. Man, those got to be the best. I, I think about it. I really don't have like any type of authority whatsoever to really speak on the subject. However, like when I just like look at the the field of work that the Soviets put out in terms of tanks, planes, um, anti-aircraft, guns, it seems to me that they have made the best weapons over the past six, 70 decades. I, I don't know. I, I You may completely disagree seven with decades, that. But 70, that would se- be 700. 70, yeah, seven, <laughs> 70 decades. 70 decades. Um, so yeah, over the past 70 years since the second world war or during, you know, in the 1930s, I think that's when the T-34 first was fielded, like in what, 1940 or something. Um, but there's something about the Soviet resourcefulness. Can I, can I say, would that be the correct word? Sure, like they, sure. they're so they, they, resourceful they, with, with the equipment that they, that they're using when they're building, when they're crafting and, and the designs they use are, are. They're, they're so simply engineered. Um, I mean, that was one of the re- that was the major advantage with the T thirty four over the over the German you know Tigers and the Panzers during World War Two. Make was a fuck ton more of them because it's easy. Well, the the big thing in World War Two with the, with like the Tiger and, and the Panther, like um, you know four or five, I forget which model, but the, the big complaint from the tank crews was that they were over engineered. Um, so each tank had was built with different parts mm-hmm. and the soviets had this rule where every single tank model or every single tank had to be you they had to be based on the the, the parts of the other tank so really you'd only have to hold up. yeah you only have to have one spare parts and there's something about the soviet uh, just this resourcefulness of how the soviets built weapons um that's really just amazing no, I'd, I'd agree with you, but you have to remember that they're they were in a communist country, right, where everything is state run. So basically, when you have a single party dictating literally every facet of life and and definitely every facet of the war uh, machine, um, and the and in the economic machine, of course, yeah, like of course you can can completely control this. You know, in in the U.S., you know, we've got a lot of private companies that are that are uh, uh, creating uh, our weapons of war, 
and we have a bidding process by which, you know, we basically choose the cheapest person uh, to do the job. So like, you know, uh, it's funny that you brought up like part compatibility, right? We, we talked about the uh, F30, um, excuse me, uh, we, we talked about the uh, uh, F35, right? Uh, uh, Lightning uh, in, in a previous episode. And, and I told you how Lockheed Martin promised, you know, uh, up to 80% part compatibility across the, the A, Bs, and Cs. Uh, of course, that, that's more like 25% now. Um, but if we were in a communist country where there was no private company engineering this, you would better believe that you know it would have to be 80% part compatibility because that's exactly what they say and that's what goes. Now, I'm glad you brought that up too because that's another reason why the AK-47 is so ubiquitous because you can take a, a gun that was made in 49 and pop off the magazine, the the thing that holds the bullets, and slap that onto a brand new, just freshly minted AK-47, and it will still work. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can even take, you know, a part, you know, the barrel off of a, a Bulgarian-made, you know, from the 60s uh, uh, um uh, assault AK-47 and slap it on an American one and it's going to fit and it's going to work. Part compatibility is huge. And actually, that's a part of the economics of it too. So uh, one of the first reasons that I said why they're so ubiquitous is because they're dirt cheap. And part of the reason why they're dirt cheap is part compatibility. It's actually in, in Africa and in and in uh, the Middle East, it's more economic to just cannibalize parts of broken one of broken ak-47s to make new ak-47s than it is to buy new ak-47s or to repair existing broken ones that's crazy yep i guess there's advantages of being a commie aren't there isn't there now yeah you know we, we should really look into that <laughs> no <laughs> I, I i get no definitely and definitely there, there, there there's definitely advantages and in a military sense of having a state-run economy um, in terms of just building parts, um, like you said, the bidding part, the bidding process um, with Lockheed Martin promising 80% compatibility and and, uh, and delivering, 25. De- <laughs> de- delivering 25%. And yeah, obviously having, when your life is on the line, if you don't hit those metrics, um, things are going to be a lot different. But um yeah, it's, it's just super it's super interesting to think how the economic systems shaped the weapons of that era. How Absolutely. Yeah. How having a state-run economy shaped a lot of the I guess the the weapons that we kind of look at as like the the most iconic weapons of modern warfare, um you know, the the AK T thirty four the S I don't know I really can't speak to that much of the S three hundred in terms of how it was built S300 that would be an badass. interesting yeah we should look into yes we should we should should look up look into that definitely what F that's uh, what Mach five rockets right yep five times the speed of sound it's ridiculous that doesn't even I that doesn't even register in my brain yeah yeah it's crazy Mach. Mach one doesn't register in my brain, <laughs> but like Mach five just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I know it changes. I know it changes. This is off topic. It changes from like, depending on the altitude, what Mach is, but like on average, how many miles per hour is, is that? I don't know. I think it's like 1200 miles an hour for a Mach 
per mock. Per per mock. So that thing is going. That thing would cross. That would go around the world. A rocket would go around the world in what? Hour or two. Four hours. hours. Yeah. A couple hours. Yeah. That shit is nuts. I don't actually know crazy. if it has the range to do that because you got to keep in mind to sustain. Yeah, obviously, speed. You have to like have obviously it doesn't have the range. But right. I'm just talking about just just for a reference, right. Of how fast that fucker is moving. Yeah, it's it's fast. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really. So really here's fast. a question. Yeah, sure. Here, here's a question, and and I, and I, I liked I liked how we started off talking about video games. Yeah, because um, I'm interested. I don't really play that many shooter games. Mm-hmm. Um, You're more I of a Candy Crush kind of guy, right? I'm more of a Candy Crush guy. Um, I'm more of a Yu-Gi-Oh guy. Um, Weeb. <laughs> but a lot of kids, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of kids who, who are into Call of Duty and like the other first-person shooter shooting PUBG, games. was Battlefield, yeah. Isn't, does Fortnite use real guns or, or no? Fortnite actually, uh, so, you know, they, they don't name it expressly the AK-47, but they definitely have a, a a model variant that looks just like it and and behaves in terms of specifications just like an AK-47. So yeah, and even down to the sound, it sounds like an AK-47. And that's really important. Maybe I'll pull up a clip uh, and 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 throw it in here in post. But it, like one one very distinct thing about the AK-47 is is the sound that it makes when it fires. The bullets are big and heavy, so they don't fly very fast, right? But they're big, so they make a loud pop. Uh, and when they hit, they hit with a really heavy kinetic force. So um, it makes just a very, very specific, distinct sound that's just very ubiquitous. And no matter what video game you play, if you're if you're shooting an AK-47 style assault rifle in it, it's going to sound like that. So in your opinion, as a gamer... Is that fair to call you a gamer? Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Yeah. As a as a thirty year old virgin, <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> um, I'm joking. Um, Danny has a girlfriend. As um as someone who plays video games and who's played different war simulators, what game has the most realistic weapons? Uh, that that I'm uh, aware of. I mean, I haven't played every yes. single one, but I got to give that to Battlefield. So what I like so much about Battlefield, and this is just like a, a, a large franchise, so that uh, I really liked Battlefield 4 um, because it was in the mo- it was set in the modern era, but it still had a few callback weapons to like some older ones. It definitely had an AK-47. It definitely had a AR-15s, things like that. What I like the most about it is that is the incorporation of of bullet physics. So actually taking into account the fact that if you shoot somebody that's like a thousand meters away from you and you're using a really high powered scope, you're gonna have to aim high, you know, because the curvature of the earth uh, is is gonna pull your bullet down, right? And and gravity's gonna pull pull your bullet down. I don't know how much wind plays into effect into it, but I, I'd imagine that it has some effect as well. Um, but you have to account for those things. And the weapons are really, really, like, accurate. Now, what's not accurate about it is, like, you know, when you push the reload button, the dude just pops in another magazine and seems to have, you know, you do have a finite number of rounds, but it's just, like, this this dude's carrying, like, hundreds of rounds of stuff and somehow can still sprint at, like, you know, 12 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, that part's not so real. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the gunplay in that, just it's it's the most realistic that i've that i've experienced and um it makes for an interesting game you know so something that i find super interesting and um kind of bizarre and crazy at the same time is the sport of long range shooting oh yeah have you ever seen that have you ever seen like those long range shooting competitions yep, i've seen them they on, have on youtube they have a team they have a team of dorks calculating the bullet ballistics absolutely yeah they have to they, they, calculate they have like the their own they have, they have like a caddy they have like a caddy it's called a spotter who calculates <laughs> a spotter yeah and actually have, in the military a caddy. And, and and maybe our military guys can can back me up on this one or maybe they can tell me that i'm full of shit um as far as i understand uh, a sniper the more experienced of the snipers is actually the spotter that's the guy who's gonna point out the target find out exactly how far away it is 
measure like the distances, calculate the bullet drop, calculate the wind, and tell you what specs to dial in in the gun. And and the sniper is literally just the trigger man. He just does exactly what he's told. Um, but you know, in, in modern warfare, as far as I've been told, you know the the difficult part is actually the spotter's part, not not pulling the trigger. Yeah, I guess when you're talking about targets that are what like. Like, like, for example, a Barrett 50 2,500 like, yards away. Like a mile away, you know? Like, this target is, is a mile away. Can you imagine that? Have you, I mean, I'm sure you've, you're, we live in New York City. You've definitely walked a mile, right? Think about walking a mile. Now, think about hitting a target that far away. No, I can definitely, I think it's easier for, for someone from New York. Like, I, I'd live. I can see down streets and like see iconic buildings. And I know I pretty much know exactly how far they are from where I'm standing right. based on 10 like New York city blocks or so, you know, it's 20, 20 New York city blocks is a mile. So I think the met life building, which I can see from my apartment, um, you know, the met life building on 40th street yep, or right by grand central. Um, that's about two miles away from my apartment. So, I can honestly visualize shooting that. I guess it's because it's a huge yeah, target. You, yeah, so that does, it's a building. It's a huge target. <laughs> it's a building. So I guess if you that, can't hit a wasn't... building from a mile away, then you know there's something wrong with you. Um, no. Okay. No, everyone. Every to... once in a while, I <laughs> every every once in a while I say something retarded. Um, uh, all right. So like you look out your window, you see the MetLife building. Okay. Now I want you to focus in on one specific window. Right. Yeah, I know. And then I want you to imagine that a human being is probably about half the size of that window. And now tell me if you can hit it. You know, like it's just insane. It's just insane. <laughs> but back to this, um, uh, 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 Kalashnikov forty-seven. Um. So so sniping is hard, but firing an AK forty-seven is not. And and that's this is probably the third reason why I think it's so ubiquitous in the world is because. It is so ridiculously easy to use that you can hand it to somebody and give them like a two minute training session. Like here's the, here's the trigger, here's the selector, you know, here's full auto, here's semi auto, here's safety. Have fun. <laughs> like that's, that's all you need to do, you know, go to town, buddy. I mean, it's, it's so ridiculously easy to use that. I mean, it's ubiquitous in, in, in the Middle East for like, you know, children carry this weapon. And they actually probably more often carry the the lighter variant, the AK-74, which shoots a smaller uh, uh, round. The, it's like a 5.54, five, I think, um, which is comparable to the American 5.56 five, that goes in the AR-15s and the, and the M-16s, things like that. Um, but uh, nevertheless, though, these weapons are so incredibly easy to use that children use them. And it's the most used... It's It's like, you know, it's... Children approved. It's <laughs> a fucked up thing to say. Um, yeah, I mean, kids are using this weapon right now in places like the Middle well, East and Africa. Children. If you're gonna if you're gonna give them a gun, a gun, you better give them a beginner's gun. I mean, if they're firing the seven six two caliber one, like the the, the AK forty seven, this is one of the. It's a. It's a strong gun. It's not, you know. Uh, I know. Like, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're so so easy to use. Uh, so I mean, we talked about uh, in a previous episode about Afghanistan, how like we, you know, we train up a bunch of these guys that basically have no business um, being in a military. Uh, but you can hand them a an AK forty seven and be like, here, you know, pull the trigger, point the barrel that way, you'll be good some of your bullets might hit, you know? <laughs> um, and they're super effective and, and they're so easy to use, so cheap. And, and the park compatibility is there that, that it is literally a symbol of uh, like, if you hand, uh, you know, a, a, a group of people, a, a dozen or so of these, these rifles, they, it immediately gives them the ability to change like their lives and, and the lives of the people around them, you know, for better or for worse. Right. It, this gun is so ubiquitous that you know the country of Mozambique adorns the AK-47 on their flag. They have on their flag it's like all their colors. It's a star, a book, a hoe, and, and, and I mean like the the farming utensil, not, not like not like a scandalous woman. Um, 
and an AK-47 on the flag of Mozambique. A lot of a lot of flags have um, the AK-47 on it. Like a lot of um, militia groups in in the Middle East have uh, right, the AK-47. This is like a UN doesn't have country. This is a UN. I know. I know. You know, and, and I, yeah, and 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 that's kind of the thing about it. It's like you know, as Americans, we grow up, or even as Westerners, we grow up kind of believing that the AK-47 is the bad guy's gun. And this is true in even in video games. Like you know, you play GoldenEye back in the day, they're using the AK-47. You know, like, uh, and and it's it's important to note that like the gun isn't bad. It's the people who use it that are bad. Um, but because of the way that it's so ubiquitous and so cheap and so easy. It's like the gun of choice to give to the bad guys. It's it, you know if if you want to start a rebel insurrection, if you want to if you want to be an ISIS, right? You're not going to go, "Hey, I want a bunch of AR15s because that's expensive as fuck and they don't sell them in your in your area of the world, you know?" Uh but if you need an assault rifle, AK47 super easy to come by, super easy to maintain, super easy to shoot. And you can raid an entire village with it, you know, and it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we've been arming when we, when we armed Afghanistan, when we armed, you know, uh, 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 rebels, we're not giving them our guns. We're buying them AK 47s. Of course we're buying them AK 40. We're buying them AKs. We're not gonna, we're not gonna spend, you know, X amount of dollars on, I guess, whatever, whatever the, American soldier is 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 uh holding right now. Like what is it is the M4, right? What uh most military personnel are holding? It's the M4 carbine. Um or the yeah, yeah M4 carbine or M4A1 um which is just an AR15 variant. AR15 standing for Armalite rifle 15. Um not assault rifle, by the way. So we know our guns. Tommy Laren, don't don't yell at me. Um, yeah, I mean, like, in, in certain countries in Africa, you can get an AR-15. Uh, excuse me, you can get an AK-47 for about thirty bucks U.S. That's fucking crazy. That's cheaper than 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 the bullets. It's it's extremely cheap. That's nuts. Yep. It's... Thinking about my bank account, which isn't great right now because I'm in between paychecks, but I'm thinking I can buy several AK-47s with that, <laughs> you know? I, I can arm a small, you know, military group with that. 30 bucks. You can create an ins- a rebel insurgency somewhere. In, in some third world country with, somewhere, yeah. In third world country for with like $10,000. Oh my God, $10,000, you, you've got yourself an army. You got, yourself, you got yourself an army and throw in some Toyota trucks. Yep. And um, maybe two or three of them, you know, some two or three Toyota trucks and some um, some Tacomas. I don't know what whatever whatever guns that they're mounting on those trucks. Oh, no, those are expensive. Um, those are higher caliber. Pro- I'd assume probably forty or, or fifty caliber. Get weapons. A, um, whatever, whatever they're whatever they're mounting on those trucks. Um, I've been talking to I, I talked to some guys in the military, and they were telling me that the. Um, the Toyota Tacoma um, Tacoma is fucking better than the Humvee. <laughs> you know why? Because they're cheap. <laughs> because their parts they're better, are ubiquitous. They're better than the Humvee. Because their parts are ubiquitous. They're faster. They're better on gas. I mean, we should probably make a Toyota Tacoma commercial for bro history about like how great they are. If you want to. <laughs> there's a there's a mashup. There's a mashup on YouTube of of. Uh, it's like a it's a Toyota commercial, but it's all just ISIS clips. Oh God! Because like <laughs> ISIS was in like 2016, you know, when they were going on these big convoys, right. there would just be these lines of thousands of these Toyota trucks. Yeah, and um, everyone was like, uh, "Okay, Toyota, why are five thousand of your trucks?" With the Islamic State, <laughs> Toyota, the unofficial sponsor Toyota. of the Islamic states of Iraq and Syria. <laughs> Toyota, <laughs> it's fu- it's it. Just look it up. Just look up the Toyota commercial, the uh, Toyota ISIS commercial, and you're just like, it's it's funny, but it's also very very bizarre. How the fuck did they get those trucks and that many of them? I mean, 
China just, I mean, China, Japan makes a million of them and sells them everywhere. You know, I mean, it's, I know it's like, you know, you can't, you can't blame Toyota. They're just doing their job. You know, like they're just making trucks. They didn't, they're just making trucks. They're not, they're not signing a contract with ISIS. Um, they're, they're not signing with, with ISIS or, you know, they're like, oh, we got a big shipment. Um, yeah, we're going to sell 5,000 uh, Tacomas <laughs> to um, this place in Syria. Um, no, I don't think they're doing that, but it's just like weird. It's just, I want to know, I want to go dive deeper into the process of how all these trucks are getting obtained from well i mean i don't think as much as, as much as it it was before i mean isis is kind of isis isis like the the isis that was um like really really crazy and in, in mosul and in syria um for all intents and purposes has pretty much been eradicated um but however there's still isis brand the, the isis the brand, brand in, guys in, like, yeah the greater middle east yeah they're the, they're still isis but there's like they're they're not the same isis the, you know the rc cola of of isis the, the, they're yeah. yeah they're still the rc cola of isis still in the middle yeah. east um it's kind of like how i'm trying to think of a good example when rome when the roman empire fell this is not a great example but when the roman empire fell um there was like so many different states that started calling themselves rome again like after uh-huh. that, over the next fifteen hundred years, like how many states call themselves Rome, mm-hmm. but they weren't really Rome. Yeah. Like they were, they were some fucking country some in, in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the Ottomans wanted to be Rome, but a Rome with a caliphate. Um, all right, we're we're uh, we uh, we've been talking a lot. We should probably wrap it up. <laughs> this was a very educational podcast. Um. So I guess cue the music. Don't get high on your own supply. And in this case, the supply is AK-47. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.